Chapter twenty nine of France to Scandinavia by Frank G. Carpenter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Betty B. A Sane Nation in the Madhouse of Europe. The Danes are one of the few sane peoples in the great madhouse of Europe. The Russians seem stark crazy, the Germans but little better, and almost every other nation is cutting fantastic pranks before high heaven. Here in Denmark, the people are buying and selling and getting gain from their farming, manufacturing, shipping, and merchandising as they have done in the past. They are taxed a bit more and have had to raise their wage level to meet the high cost of living, but are paying their debts in good golden cronin. They are still thrifty and cheerful and expect to continue upon the wonderful course of prosperity they have pursued during the last two generations. The story of this country's rise from the ashes should bring hope to every people in the dumps of despair. At the close of our civil war, the condition of Denmark was so desperate that no nation in Europe was poor enough to do her reverence. Like the Germany of today, she had long since fallen from her place as one of the richest and most powerful nations of the world. More than 100 years before Columbus discovered America, Denmark had swallowed Norway, which she kept until she sided with Napoleon, and the Battle of Waterloo sounded what seemed to be her death knell. In the revolution that followed Norway was taken from her and given to Sweden. The wars had ruined her trade, and her debt was enormous. Then her people were half slaves, as were the peasants all over Europe, and the kings and nobility ruled. As time went on, matters grew worse, and in 1864, Prussia, that glutton of kingdoms, gobbled Schleswig-Holstein, part of which, by the Treaty of Versailles, she has had to disgorge. The country grew poorer and poorer, and at the time of the Franco-Prussian War, it seemed hopelessly bankrupt. The land was suited to nothing but farming, and the United States was supplying Europe with great quantities of its farm products at cheap prices. Germany had shut out Danish exports by a high protective tariff, and even God seemed to frown, for he sent droughts and floods and cattle diseases. The condition of Denmark then was really almost as bad as that of Austria and Hungary after the peace. Indeed, it was worse, for these countries are naturally rich in good soil and other resources. Now look at the Danes of today. They are among the richest, healthiest, and happiest people of the whole world. They stand high in education and culture. Their women have equal rights with the men and hold a place in every profession and are a part of every university. Their king has lost his power and become a figurehead, and the people have a democracy as free as that of our union, although their country is only a patch compared to ours. It would take 200 Denmarks to equal the United States, including the lands of Schleswig brought back by the plebiscite, it is half the size of Indiana and a little more than twice that of Massachusetts. It exceeds Belgium and Holland by only a state or so as large as Rhode Island, and it has less available good soil than either. The country is low and flat. It floats, as it were, on the sea, almost blocking the entrance to the Baltic. Geographically, Denmark belongs to Norway. Nine or ten thousand years ago, at the time of the glacial period, the site of Copenhagen was a part of the great reef of chalk and lime upon which now stands the kingdom of Denmark. Then the whole country lay under the sea, but the huge ice sheets, as thick as those that cover the Greenland of today, moved down from Norway 
carrying earth and stones with them. They were several miles thick, and when they struck this chalk reef, they dropped the earth and stones upon it and thus built up the land. Today the scientists can follow the furrows plowed by the rocks in the beds of the glaciers all the way from Norway to Germany. And in my motor travels across country, I have looked down through the green waters of many of the lakes and seen the original white chalk of that mighty reef of the past. A land formed in that way could not have very good soil, and were it not for the fertilization and intensive cultivation practiced by the Danes, many of their farms would be producing as little as the worst patches of our Rocky Mountain highlands. For a long time, much of the country was like the marshes between New York and Newark, and it was about the worst of all the starved crow farms of continental Europe. Much of the soil was too poor to grow trees, and even now only about one-twelfth of the country is wooded. Yet the great success of the Danes has come from the land. They are a nation of intensive farmers who, like the good servants in the parable of the talents, have taken what the master has given them, and by brains, industry, and business efficiency have multiplied it many-fold. They have thrown off the shackles of the nobles, reduced the great estates to small holdings, and by scientific farming and stock-raising have made every one of their 250,000 farms produce exports which equal $50 a month all the year through. The land not only supports the farmers and gives the country its food, but yields a surplus worth $17 per annum for every farm acre. This the Danes have done by teamwork in which the whole nation has gone into the harness and labor together. They have studied their land and the markets and have raised only the things they could produce at a profit. When Denmark found that with her limitation of soil and area, she could not compete with the United States and other lands in the production of oats, wheat, rye, barley, and such crops, she did not sit down and whine and ask other countries to help her, but only buckled in her waist belt to make her stomach the smaller, counted her assets, and figured out what she could do. Her people did not even ask the government to help them by protective tariffs, but everyone did his part and all worked together. She had several great thinkers, and with them, in time, she planned out a scheme of agricultural production that has made the whole country rich. She looked at her location. It was just across the North Sea from London, the biggest city on earth, and from Great Britain, full of factory workers who for years have been spoon-fed by outsiders. It was just over the border from Germany, with its vast standing army that needed horses and its many industrial laborers who were consuming far more foodstuffs than the German farms could supply. Denmark studied the wants of these neighbors. She enriched the soil with the gray matter in the heads of her farmers and decided she could make a living in supplying Great Britain with bacon and butter and eggs and Germany with cattle and horses. She at once sent out commissions to these and other countries to study the markets and the methods of producing these commodities, and at the same time began to reorganize the country on the new basis. The commissions reported that England was getting breakfast supplies largely from Ireland. They looked into the Irish production and suggested new methods, with the result that in a short time the Danes were offering better bacon, better butter, and better eggs than the Irish. It was the same with the Germans and other markets all over the world. Denmark, in proportion to her size and population, is now selling more and better bacon, butter, and eggs than any other country. 
Within less than a generation, she has increased her annual exports of farm products from a value of about $25 million to more than $380 million, of which nearly half go to England. I have not yet tried the bacon, although I have visited the piggeries and the slaughterhouse where it is killed, but I eat a lot of the butter with the two eggs that I get for my early breakfast each morning. This is the first country I have visited in my tour where I have been given enough butter to supply the appetite of even the daintiest American girl. Here in Europe, the hotels serve one's first meal in his bedroom. This consists of a little pot of coffee and some bread and butter with eggs upon order for an extra charge. In Paris, my butter consisted of three or four shavings no bigger than the corkscrew curls with which some of our girls adorn their foreheads, or instead, as many balls of butter, each as big as the end of my middle finger. This, it must be remembered, was at the high-priced hotels, where one's room and meals cost as much as in the first-class hotels of New York. They do it far better in Denmark. End of chapter 29